All right, well, oh, that's exciting. Before we, we get there, you can already turn 1 Corinthians 12, and you can get there ahead of time. What I want to do this morning is before we enter into the text as per usual, I just want to spend a few minutes in prayer uh, over an issue that I'm sure you are all well aware of right now, um, the 415 victims that were found in the residential school. It's heartbreaking. Um, there's no words that you can, you can say uh, to deal with these things. The fact that they were done by people who claimed they were doing God's work uh, is heartbreaking. Uh, I think we as Christians need to remind people that that is not what we stand for. Uh, every person's history has, every person's culture has horrible things in the past that we deeply regret, we look back on with great sadness. And sometimes it can be easy to distance ourselves from it and be like, man, that, uh, I was no part of that. That doesn't make it any less true that it happened. And that doesn't make it any less true that people were saying they were doing this for the good of people in the name of God. And of course, those of us who read scripture, you can't reconcile those two together. And so I just wanted to, to spend a few minutes uh, together in prayer, uh, lifting up the families, lifting up those who have been impacted over the years. There are countless more than we ever want to admit that have been affected by this. So let's pray. God, we, man, I don't even know what to, to say. God, the fact that these types of occurrences happen, is, it's shocking, it's devastating. It shows the, the worst of the human condition that these kinds of decisions were made. God, as we're going to read this morning, is the church is meant to be a place where all ethnicities, all cultures, everyone gathers together in your name, that we should be united. And so, God, we're going to, I pray that we would do our best to educate ourselves on these types of situations that we would not shrink back from these things or not take, pretend like it just doesn't involve us or doesn't affect us, but that we would care for, that we would love, that we would minister to, especially those who are overlooked. We know in Scripture it says to look after and to care for the orphan and the widow. And so God, we pray that we would be people that do exactly that that we would care for those who are hurting, that we would minister to those who need help, and that we would make sure that anything that we decide that we're going to do is consistent with what the Word of God says and with your character. So God, I pray for all those who have been affected over these many years by the residential school system. God, we don't begin to imagine to understand their hurt. But God, we pray that you would soften our hearts. That we would hurt with those who are hurting and that we would be there to try and help bring comfort and healing. 
So God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do those works in our own hearts, that we can care for those who have been affected in such ways. God, be with each family. Amen. Now, as we enter into, and we kind of started this already, but in 1 Corinthians 12, we're, we're dealing with spiritual gifts, but we haven't actually dealt with the spiritual gifts yet, really. Um, and, and in my conversations with people this week, I had a number of people that kind of either phoned or stopped by to chat that were like, oh, I'm really interested in what's coming. It's funny how when you get into some of the controversial stuff, people are really interested in what we're going to say. Well, we're not going to get there this week yet, so you have to wait until next week. We're going to continue with what Paul has been talking about, which is, is the overall idea behind this is that you are the body of Christ, right? Each one of us, we are meant to, in verse 7 of last week's text, chapter 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's, that's the whole focus of this week, last week, is that God has gifted you uniquely. He's created you uniquely. He's called you uniquely, but not for yourself for the common good, for the edification of the body, so that we might serve one another. And so as we kind of unpack a little bit of this, it's going to be a lot of similar ideas to last week, but there's a few difficult verses at the end that we're going to spend some time on, and then we're going to move next week. Well, I shouldn't say next week. Next week we have a guest speaker. The week after that we're going to move into 1 Corinthians 13, which is often used where? At weddings. That's okay, it still applies, right? It's not like we're just taking it way out of context. But when you think about it, it's actually in the context of how we might serve one another as the, as the body. And so this morning, Paul's going to use a very uh, familiar and simple analogy for us, is that each one of us being in the, in the church are as if members of one body. And so he uses some imagery here that, that we can all relate to, that we can all understand. And so... It should be uh, familiar in that sense. But before we get there, I need to clarify a few things. Last week, I brought this up, and this is going to kind of come forward in the next few weeks, is there's basically two schools uh, of thought, two camps within uh, the church in regards to spiritual gifts, right? And now this is funny. So there's somebody here who is from Steinbeck as well now, so they understand my pain and my hurt from growing up in a very conservative place. The gift of tongues, like, <laughs> that didn't happen in Steinbeck, at least not when I was there, right? That would have been like, have you been drinking? And then, no, never mind, we won't tell Mennonite jokes. Okay, moving on, moving on. There's, if you've grown up in a more conservative place, some of those types of gifts are just uncomfortable. We've not really talked about them. We've not really studied them in Scripture. And so there's a group within the church that are cessationists where they would say that with the apostolic age, some of these gifts have ceased. God no longer gives them out. They're not necessary for the church. On the other side are the continuationists who would say that all spiritual gifts have continued and are given within the local church today. And then, of course, within each of those camps, there's a huge variety. And so like I said last week, I don't really know where to put myself. There's not just one real simple place where I'm like, okay, this one makes sense. I like this right here. And as I was studying this overall theme the last couple of weeks, um, the other day, I came across this term, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but the term came up and I was like, man, that's where I fit. That's me. This is good. And then as I studied that further, I realized there are some implications to that 
that I did not like. That revealed some things in my heart where I was like, man, I am not really trusting God here. I'm trusting what I've always believed, what I've always seen, what I've always thought to be true, not listening to God's spirit. And so by the end of that, and this has all happened really in about four hours. Yes, this is where I fit. No, I shouldn't fit there. Oh dear. And now I don't know where I fit again. There's not a simple term for it. And so the only reason I say that is to encourage you in this is that we are all growing, we're all maturing, and if we submit to the Holy Spirit, right, if we submit to his leading and guiding is what we have always thought doesn't need to remain so tightly fixed, right? We always need to hold our beliefs, hold, or, 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 hold them tight enough that we're not just going to be tossed to and fro from every wave, but also not so tightly that we're not teachable. Right? We always, we always, each of us, we always, we think we're right. Right? I, I think what I'm going to present this morning is right. I'm, I'm convinced of that in my own mind. But, but in 10 years from now, when I look back and I see this, what will have changed? What will have evolved? What will have grown? Am I willing to say, I think this is true and this is right according to what Scripture says? But if my opinions, if my thoughts, if the way that I've been brought up, if it's not consistent with Scripture, says God, would you give me the courage and the strength to let go of some of those presuppositions and to say, I'll do and I'll understand what you have called of me. And So that's the journey that we're all on. And I, I just share that little story with you because within a four-hour period of time, I was like, man, i got to tell Shayla this. I fit in this. And I'm so glad I didn't because by the end of it, it was like, I don't fit there anymore. It's the challenge of the more we study God, the more there is to learn and to unpack. That all being said, I'm not going to explain that this week. That's coming. We're going to get there. But, you know, just for frame of context. So verse 12, we're going to start reading. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. So this is 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. How many were at... Uh, Sorry, ADD. How many were at the community, or the community, the, the joint service with other church, I guess it's last, last year, and we read this passage. Does anybody remember that? Not a single person? Some of you are like, maybe. We had a fun little skit, and it was a riot, but I was like, no, we're not going to do it because you were all there. Well, now I'm ill-prepared, so it's funny. Just pretend like it's funny. Okay, okay, thank you. We are one, and so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. All were made to drink of one spirit. Do you notice this word one over and over and over? For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honor, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Okay, there's a lot in there. So we're going to do our best to keep focused here on this so this, this doesn't get way, way too long this morning. But Paul begins with this, with this picture, right? We are one body, and I said this back in verse 7, we work for the what? Common good. Right? Each of us work for the edification of one another. This flies right in the face, uh, and I've been on this hobby horse for a while here, but this flies right in the face of our culture and our individualism. Right? It's, it's all about me. It's what I think I should get to do. Paul's talked about this at length already, right? Give up your rights because your rights aren't important. Care for the concerns of others. Serve them. Don't worry about yourself. Christianity, in its essence, is Jesus is first and that everyone else is together in one body. And that means that you are no more important than anybody else. But it also means that you're no less important than anybody else. And that goes just completely against what our culture teaches. And, and we need to get this out of our minds, this individualism, and recognize that I do not belong to myself any longer. Christ has died for me. He has purchased me with his blood. For his purposes, not what I want to do. Right? Becoming a Christian isn't this, I'm going to pray this prayer so that I don't go to hell, so that I can live however I want. That's not how it works. It's, I confess Jesus as Lord and God shows me a new, far greater way to live than I could ever understand. One that has meaning and purpose and matters. One that impacts others, not because of what I am capable of, but because of what God has done. This is for the common good. I think I've hit that enough now, but I might say it again a few times. Again, the church is meant to be the most beautiful thing in that it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic background you have. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. None of those things matter because we all come together and all of a sudden we all serve one another and we exalt Christ and we make him known to the world. None of those other things matter. My bank account, really unimportant in that moment or should be, right? All of it should be we are one. And in fact, if you go through the Old Testament, it, it kind of seems like God's chosen one nation Right? And, and it's like, oh, that seems kind of like exclusive. But what you read is if you look in Matthew and read the, the lineage of Jesus, what do you find? There's outsiders included in there because God was trying to show his plan that through that nation he was going to include everyone. In, in Romans 12, especially, Paul argues that so completely that this exists so that the Gentiles would be grafted in. 
Because they were always meant to be part of God's family. Everyone is meant to be in this family. According to 1 Timothy 2, God wants who to be saved? He wants all of us. Because he's created us, because he loves us. Will some reject? Will many reject? Yeah. Unfortunately, that is the case. But it's not because God has rejected. It's because man has rejected. Because man thinks that they are more important. Leon Morris writes this. He says, diversity is no accident. It is no accidental attribute of the body. It is its very essence. No one member is to be equated with the body. In fact, it takes many members to make up one body. When Paul starts to say, right, one, 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 and and you see this, this focus of his, is all of us were baptized into one spirit. We're one family to drink of the one cup. Now, that's not speaking of communion. That's, and again, the only reason I clarify that is we were just there a couple of weeks ago, but he's simply saying that that one spirit indwells and comes out of us, each the same. All of us. When you think about the human body, you, you realize, now every analogy falls apart at some point, right? So don't try and take this too far, but it's actually a really, really good analogy. Because your body is, according to Scripture, fearfully and wonderfully made, and boy, do we realize that when all of a sudden we hurt something in our body that we didn't know we could hurt. I was talking with Randy Charchuk the other day, and he said he popped a rib out. Now, this is the important, or the amazing part, is he said this is the first time he's ever done that. It's like, man, he's got a physical job. I would be surprised. I lifted a canoe once, and pop my rib out. <laughs> Anybody done that? What hurts all of a sudden? Breathing. Right? Like how important is breathing? You don't think about it. You just breathe. Well, I was literally, okay, this canoe is not heavy and I, there's no excuse for me to get hurt. I guess it's just that. This is why I should stretch probably. Right? But I picked it up, popped something out and I was like, I, like every breath hurt. Every movement, every, like I was keenly aware of your rib. Are you aware of your rib right now? I hope not, right? <laughs> okay. No, anyway, I was keenly aware of it. And then, and then you know what happens? Then you get tired. And what happens when you get tired? You yawn. And then it's like someone's stabbing you right in the, like it's awful. And then you sneeze and you think you're going to go to the ER. Like it's, this one little part of your body, right? That you don't think about. It's just, it's just there. It's just, you know, well, that can be the same way with the church. Again, the context of where Paul's coming from here is that everybody wants one gift. They're all fighting, right? They all want to speak in tongues because to them, that is the mark of a spiritual person. That shows maturity, man. That person, that person's good. I think... We, we all probably struggle with this a lot, is the grass is always greener on the other side. We look at somebody and we go, man, they're gifted. Man, God's really using them. Look at their abilities and their talents. Sometimes we get sucked into this where if it's in the front, then it's important. Well, we've learned, and COVID kind of really taught us this when Shayla and I and, and Becca and others had to start figuring out, man, how do we do online stuff? And how do we stream things? And all these things. There were way more people involved than probably before that never got seen. 
right? And those jobs, God has called them to equip them to in that moment. And it would be very easy to be like, man, I, is this important? All of a sudden, we started to realize that some of these things are desperately important. It can be so easy to look at others and go, man, I wish, I wish I was more like that. I wish I had those gifts. But here's what's crazy about it. Is Paul says, just because you're not an eye, doesn't mean you're not part of the body. Right? Just because you're not a whatever you think you want to be, doesn't mean that you're not part of the body. In fact, he goes on in verse 22 to say it this way, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? What does it say? Anyone following along? Somebody say it. Indispensable. I like that word. If you have NIV, ESV. If you have some other translation, it says uh, necessary, and that's fine too, but I really like this word indispensable. It means that you are needed. I've been saying this lately a lot. God has really been providential in his timing of what we've been studying in Scripture. Is we're coming back together over these next few weeks as a body, and it might be very simple for some people to be like, man, it's pretty comfortable to stay at home. Right? Like, it's been 16 months. That's plenty good, plenty long enough to develop some bad habits, right? And to be like, man, I'm just, I'm just going to sit at home. It's just, I don't, I don't need to be with people. On the contrary... We do. And if we think about it in this context, what Paul is saying is, is, is if you're staying at home and you're not getting involved in the body, he's saying you are actually indispensable to the body, so you're causing harm to that body. Right? Like this is a crazy thought to think. It's, it, it's not in the sense that we have God held hostage and he's unable to do something without us. That's not the way to think of it. The way to think of it is he's asked, Greg, I want you to do this to serve the church. So do it. God has called each of us to come together, to worship together, to edify one another, to build one another up. And and just as the body, when it's functioning healthily, is effective, the same is true of the church. If people aren't involved, man, how effective can we be? The old cliche has often been that 10% of the church does 90% of the work. That's often been what's said, and, and we've seen that to be true a lot. And the problem, what happens then is those 10%, they're being passionate and saying, yes, I want to serve the Lord. But when they're being called to do not only what they're called, but they feel the burden of picking up other things that other people aren't doing, what happens to those people? They get exhausted. Then they crash. Then they're incapable of doing. Then all of a sudden, nobody's doing. And, and I'm not trying to point fingers here and to say, you know, negative things about you. I'm, I'm simply trying to tell you what Paul's telling us. You are indispensable. Whatever your gifts are. Even if you don't know what your gifts are. Is if you're a part of the body, if you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then you should be belonging to and serving a local church for the common good so that we would exalt Christ and make him known. Again, it flies such in the face of our culture where it's very individualistic. Man, I can just, I can just watch YouTube for days. Right? And you can probably find a lot better teaching. You can find a lot of gifted, wonderful preachers and they can teach you all kinds of things, but if it's all only staying in here because you then aren't serving the body, then what good is it? 
Imagine having all the knowledge you need for everything and then never passing it on. I once heard someone say it's like having the cure for cancer in your head because you've been trying to figure it out and when you figure it out, you just go, okay, good, I figured it out. Then you never tell anybody. You are indispensable. Okay, I think I've hit that one enough too. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Right, so one member, right? So the rib thing that pops out. Uh, I read from one, one uh, theologian this week, he, he used the example of the appendix. Very little part of the body. We're real smart. What does it do? Not really sure. But when it goes wrong, anybody had their appendix taken out? When it goes wrong, it can, it can kill you, actually. Right? It could. Is, is when one part suffers, everybody else suffers. And so when one of us is hurting, we should be hurting. All of us. Right? So if someone goes through some pain or some loss and we can distance ourselves from that and they're part of our church family, as Paul's saying, man, you, you're missing it. We've got to care for one another. But he doesn't just say it in a negative way. He then also says, uh, so if one member suffers, all suffer. But if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Could you imagine if when somebody had some kind of you know, great thing happen in their life, like that we just gathered together and we celebrated? How encouraging is it when someone celebrates together? How built up do you feel when you serve in such a way and others come alongside you? And it's not like they're praising you for being so great, but they're so happy that you served and that you were involved and everyone just gets pumped up and we all just get super excited. Have you ever noticed that when you're serving in a group, how awesome it is? When we're focused right. But when we're like, man, I have to, I have to go to church and I have to do this thing. I do not want to do this thing. You're not going to like it. But when you go and you go, man, I get to be with my brothers and sisters. I don't care what it is I do, but I get to be with them and I get to serve and I get to get plugged in somewhere where there's a need. Shayla and I had many, many opportunities of being able to take uh, young people on missions trips, whether down to Mexico or inner city Hollywood, uh, various other places. And and we got to watch these kids where they were like, often shell-shocked, right? Small town Saskatchewan, let's go to somewhere crazy. And, and they would get shell-shocked, but they would start to look at this and they would find such joy in serving. Because that's how we're created. It's not an accident. This is, like it says here, God has done this. God has willed this. He has decided. He's placed them together. It's not an accident. We find meaning and we find purpose and we find fulfillment. Why? Because God's created us for that purpose. For this reason. And so we need to remember, if one suffers, then all suffer. If one is honored, all is honored. I read it this way. Is if your church isn't healthy, that's on you. That was the quote. It's pretty direct. I didn't really like it. It doesn't mean it's not true. Right, is if your church is not healthy, then you're a part of that problem. Right? So when you think about it, and, and I would like to think we're a very healthy church right now, and I take approximately zero credit for that. Right? Because that's the blessings of God and the fact that the people of this church have said, yes, I'm going to serve. 
I'm going to do what God's called me to do. But no church has always been healthy. All of us have gone through times of difficulty, pain, fighting, strife. Churches split because of the color of the carpet. Is that why? Pretty sure that's not why. There's fighting, and there's frustration, and there's anger. Right? Paul has said this many times leading up to this. How can you have contempt towards your brother and then come together and worship God and pretend everything's fine? Right? That was the communion text a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to celebrate communion again. Right? We need to be reminded of the cross of Christ so that we stop focusing on ourselves and we go, this is not about me. It's about him. Okay, now we get into some, some of the tricky stuff. So now you are the bodies of Christ and individually members of it. So he's not denying your individual identity. But he's saying there's not only an individual identity. You are members of it. God has appointed in the church. This is where it gets confusing. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then the rest of the stuff. Do you kind of read it that way sometimes? It's like first, second, third, and then the other ones that are less important. It can, it can appear that way sometimes. But wouldn't that go exactly against everything that he's just been arguing the last two chapters? So again, interpretation 101 of the Bible is if something seems to contradict everything, then where is the problem? Probably with me and how I'm interpreting something. So we need to go back and see what does this look like. So I'm going to read to you so that you see that this is not my explanation. Donald Pryor wrote this. He says, The issue is not the importance of the gifts, but the priority of time. Apostles founded the local church, the prophets proclaimed God's word into each situation, and the teachers built securely on this foundation. The rest of the gifts came following that, not because they're less important, but because there was an order of how the church was created. So, again, apostles and prophets, we don't like those words in the conservative circles very much. Because what does that mean? We're not going to talk about it this week. We're going to get there. Apostles and prophets. Now, no, I, I should say something. Okay, you've heard me say this lots, right? It's God does not give new divine revelation to somebody. The word of God is sufficient. The word of God teaches that everything we need for life and godliness is found where? In here. And so if I come before you and I say, man, God's given me this like, brill- like this is for you. And I tell you, so we're all going to go and we're going to sell this building. And we're going to go uh, live at the river. Something, I don't know, right? Like, I did not plan this thought well enough. But the point being, right, is if I do that, I'm claiming that I actually have special revelation from God that you don't. Isn't that what the Protestant Reformation fought against? Is that somebody supersedes Scripture, but in fact, Scripture supersedes everything else. And so we need to be aware of that. So do I believe that apostles exist? Yes, no. Now we'll wait until next week to deal with that. God does not give uh, new divine revelation. But can God use somebody to speak truth into your life? And I sure hope you've had that experience. I sure hope someone's come along beside you, not said, this is what you're supposed to do. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. We'll talk about that. My point being is that God calls us to minister to one another, to encourage one another for the building up of one another. So, another thing I want to mention is if you look at this list here in verses 29, uh, sorry, 28 and 29, 30, 
and then you go back to the beginning of the chapter, are they the same? In fact, they're quite different. There's several different lists in Peter, Ephesians, Romans. There's several different lists, and none of them are the same. What should we assume that that means? It's been left ambiguous on purpose. So in other words, are there only these ways in which we can serve the local body for the edification of the church? No. Whatever God gifts you for and however he gifts you, that's his choice for the edification of the body. And so I think this is where the whole spiritual gift test kind of thing is short-sighted. It kind of tries to box us into these categories when I think, I shouldn't say I think, we know that God could have told Paul and Peter, write these lists exactly like this so that everything's inclusive. And he didn't. Now, ironically, in this one, what's the last gift that's mentioned? Tongues. What's the one the Corinthians want? I don't know if that's intentional. I kind of feel like it is. Corinthians, you want this, some kind of spiritual mark on you. This shows the spirituality. This shows your maturity. But look, there's all these other things. Helping. Administration. These things are just as important as the rest. And then, Paul answers this way, right, with his rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak within tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is what? Right? It's not given, but it's obvious. Right? And so again, when you walk into a church and they say, you can only be a member of our church if you have spoken in tongues, that's where you turn around and you walk out. Because that's not biblical. We start to then do the same thing the Corinthians are doing. This is the mark of spirituality. And if you haven't spoken in tongues, we can't vouch for your salvation. How many people teach that? It's wrong. Now, We'll put the conservative Steinbach hat on. Just because you speak in tongues doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. <laughs> and that's kind of what I thought. That can't be good. That can't be of God. And I had my verses why, right? Because if you surround yourself with enough conservative folk, you can figure out everything conservatively. That doesn't mean it's true. If Paul's saying here, do all speak in tongues? No, that's obvious. But what's also obvious? Some do. I don't know how to deal with that. We're going to talk about that later. Man, I'm just leaving you all hanging with all kinds of stuff. I love it. Now you have to come next week. Two weeks. Don't tell people that. Okay, yes. Okay, but then again, we have verse 31 here, and this is where it gets a little tricky again. Right, so he's just asked all these, do you all do this? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Okay, doesn't that sound like he's just undoing what he just said? Now, earnestly desire them. Now, again, we have to read this in context. Earnestly desire the gifts. I will show you a still more excellent way, and that excellent way in chapter 13 is the way of what? Love. So if you're focused on yourself, I need this gift because it elevates me, Paul says you're missing out because you're supposed to love the body. And when you love the body, you care for it. But let, let me explain this a little bit more clearly. And when I say that, I mean, let me quote to you from somebody who's smarter than me. Mark Taylor wrote this. He says, To desire the greater gifts is simply a different way of stating what the overall argument makes clear. Namely, that all things should be done for the edification of the 
oh, pardon me, edification of the whole. In every way, individual members of the body should seek the welfare of others. To seek what is more useful is an exhortation to the church to recognize the value and the place of every gifted believer. And then he says what we just said. There is, however, an, a more excellent way. And Paul will expand upon that. In chapter 14, he's going to say, uh, like, don't desire tongues, but desire prophecy. Because that will actually edify the church far more. And so it kind of seems like, again, are you arguing with what's going on here? But you have to get in the mind of the Corinthians where they're wanting something for some individualistic thing. And Paul's whole argument is no desire that which edifies one another. Not for you, but for God. Right? And so, I mean, how many times have I said this? Is the gospel is not about you, but it is for you. Right? The church is the same. It's not about me. The church is for me, but the church is for you. I'm no more important than you, but you're no more important than me. We find ourselves on this very level playing field, and frankly, we don't like that as people. We like the hierarchical thing so we know where we fit. But when we're all even, that's, I don't like that. It makes it more difficult. It makes it more difficult to judge others. Probably seems like why God did it. We are all one body. We are all created uniquely and God has gifted us uniquely for his purposes not our own not so that I would receive glory or honor but so that he would so desire the gifts that you may edify one another not so that you may have this special mark on you where they look at you and go man that person they're so spiritual all that does is that actually robs glory from God and puts it on yourself, which actually shows the mark of immaturity, not maturity. So, all of us, we are members of one body. You, you are indispensable, and I need you. I hope that you understand that you need me. Right? And that maybe even sounds arrogant to say something like that. You need me, but it only is true because I need you. Same level, same level playing field. We're all together. And so I just encourage you that as, as things open up, as life gets back to whatever that normal is, right? It'll be different than it was. No matter how much you don't like change, change is inevitable. Life moves. But we as the church, the mission hasn't changed. How are we going to do that? How are we going to minister to one another? How are we going to reach out? How are we going to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ in the community that we live? And how are we going to build one another up? Those are the questions I want us to be asking in these next weeks. And I hope that many of you are just as excited as I am to not just have 15, 20, 30 people, but to know that everyone is back. And that we can love each other face to face. That sounds like a weird sentence, but I hope you know what I mean. Is that we have one another, we can look at each other and we can go, man, how can I serve you today? How can I encourage you today? How can I build you up for the name of Christ? I God's providential timing, right? I started this book, what, in January? I would like to think I'm smart enough that this happened just as we're reopening. But you all know that's not true. It's about God, it's not about us. Let's pray and then we'll move into a time of communion together. God, thank you that you have created us and that you want to use us. You don't need us, but we need you. 
And yet you have called us and you have gifted us uniquely for this day, for the purposes of this local body. And so God, I pray that we would consider where and how we can get involved to build one another up so that your church can speak so loudly to this community. That they can see the care and the love that we have for one another and the desire we have to share things and to be there for one another. God, may we recognize that each one of us is indispensable because you have called us to this place. And so, God, we thank you for how you have gifted us. Would you remind us in our hearts to know that the gift that you've given me, the the task that you've called me to, that it's no less or more important than anybody else's, but that we exist to bring unity to one another. So, God, thank you for this text. Thank you for the simple analogy of the body. And, And next time we pop a rib out or something like that, May it remind us of the spiritual truths of that as well. And may we stay connected to you and to the local church. Amen. If you just want to flip back, just it's probably just one page, maybe two in your Bible. Again, we discussed the context of this at length a couple of weeks ago. I think the best way to say it is that I need to be reminded that it's not about me. I need to be reminded to focus on Jesus. I need to focus on the cross and not on my issues and not on my challenges because just like with all of us, my challenges can overwhelm me real quick. So verse 23 of chapter 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty considering, or concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because I think we probably need self-reflection way more than we do. We need to look at it. We need to go, God, what in my life is not honoring you? What needs to be weeded out? And I'll tell you, when our focus is on the cross, those things become a lot more clear. And so I want to pray as you have the elements in your hand, I want to pray for the body and then we'll pray for the blood. God, thank you that in your plans that we have read in Scripture, that Jesus came to this earth and that he came to teach us, to show us, to model us, to model for us what it means to follow after you. But far more importantly than that, he came because only his death, only his sacrifice could forgive our sins. And so God, I pray that 
in these types of moments that we would consider, how am I living? Where are my focuses? Am I being distracted by external factors? Or am I taking those challenges and those difficulties that are in my life, am I taking them to you and putting them at the cross? Choosing to believe that you are at work and that you are walking with me no matter how difficult the road may seem. And when we do that, suddenly, suddenly we realize that we'll make it. God, I'm reminded this morning of little Gavin. And God, we know his life is apart from a miracle coming to its close. But God, as his parents said yesterday, even in this short few years, in these short, this short life, you have used him for your good and for your glory. And so God, then, that's all we could ever ask for. So God, may our lives, as we see what's happening in the world, as we hurt with those who hurt, as we, as we try and process all of these things, may it draw us back to the cross so that we can trust you because you have purpose even in the midst of the most awful situations that we can't imagine. So God, would you help us trust you Thank you that Jesus went to the cross, that he willingly sacrificed his body for us. That we might have hope that cannot be taken away. But that when you come back, that we know that we will be with you forever in eternity. So God, we thank you. We praise you. Amen. Let's eat this in remembrance of him. And God, the cup that we hold in our hands, we know represents the blood of Jesus. God, as we talked at length a couple of weeks ago, is this blood represents the new covenant. Your sacrifice once for all has dealt with all of sin, past, present, and future. So God, as we, as it says in Scripture, as we proclaim your death until you come again, may we not be looking to exalt ourselves, but may we be looking to exalt you. It is only through your blood that we have the forgiveness of sins. It's not about what I'm able to do. And so God, would you help us to refocus? Would you help us to examine our hearts over and over and go back to that reminder that it is all about the cross. And how beautiful and how wonderful the gift of salvation is that you have offered it freely to each one and that you want all to come to this faith.
And God, in this moment, we confess that we are not enough. And that's the point. You are. And we thank you that your blood was sufficient to forgive all of our sins. We drink this in remembrance of you. Let's pray as we close. God, as we consider these things as they ruminate in our minds and in our hearts, as we consider this idea of the body and what you have called us to, may we be a people that love each other, that want to serve each other, that want to build one another up. God, help us to not give in to this individualistic mindset that exists in our culture, but help us to realize that we are in one body for one purpose. Help us to exalt Christ and to make him known. Help us to care for one another in a way that the world sees and they go, man, I need that. God, we are so grateful for this body, for this church that you have built, for the people that serve here, I am so grateful for. And God, for each one who is a part of this church and perhaps has, has not gotten involved, pray that they would understand that this isn't our pitch trying to get them to do stuff so that we don't have to do as much but that they would see this as a command from Scripture to see how they can be involved and what they can do for the common good, for the edification of one another. God, help us to have those conversations in our homes, with our spouses, with our kids, with our families. And help us to serve one another in love because we have Jesus who modeled that for us. So God, go with us today. Thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing. And God, I pray for all those very difficult situations that lie ahead of some people that they don't know what they're going to do. They don't know how they're going to get through it. Would they cling tightly to you in these moments? And would they know that they have a family that will pray for them and care for them through all of those difficulties? God, help us to be that one body. We love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Next week we have a, a guest speaker, uh, and then we'll get back into Corinthians. And I pro- you know what? It might work out that I might not actually talk about prophecy or tongues until after the summer series. We'll have to see how it goes. But I'm looking forward to having these conversations with you. Uh, and a reminder, you can email, text, or phone any of those questions that you may have for the summer sermon series uh, to the church if you want it to be anonymous. Uh, just write it on a paper, open the church door, throw it in. No one needs to know you were even here. And we'll gladly explore all these wonderful questions that we have. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.